Oh Lord, I give you thanks with all my heart for all the things that you have done. Oh Lord, I sing in praise for all your ways. For you're the great and righteous one. You are the truth that sets me free from sin and Satan binding me. You are my shepherd and my king. For you alone, this song I sing. I love you, Lord, for laying down your life to save my soul. I love you, Lord, for giving me your life to make me. Oh Lord, I worship you for who you are And loving me the way you do Oh Lord, there's no one like you, that's for sure I bow my soul in all of you You showed your love by word and deed And by giving help in time of need you are the object of my love The one I'm always thinking of I love you, Lord For laying down your life to save my soul I love you, Lord For giving me your life to make me Savior and Creator, the true love of my life, Alpha and Omega, I give you all, I give you all my praise, yeah. You are my Savior and Creator, the true love of my life, Alpha and Omega, I give you all, I give you all my praise, yeah. Because I love you, Lord, for laying down your life to save my soul. I love you, Lord, for giving me your life to make me
All right, uh, good evening. Could you turn your Bibles to the book of Romans? Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. My sympathies go out to the people in, on the East Coast in Massachusetts. I guess it was up around 100 degrees today. I'm feeling really bad for you right now, <laughs> especially for those <clears throat> who are living beside the water. I really don't feel bad for them, i.e. John and Alex. They're probably out in their boat. They're probably they, they are tonight right now? They're not on? Aha. Uh-huh. They're probably turn a plate anyways, right? But uh, if they don't, they're probably out in their boat. They live right near the water. So, But anyways, uh, good evening. And we're going to uh, study the uh, Romans 15, 27 this evening. We're going to uh, start the, uh, begin the verse. It's got a couple of statements there. And uh, so we're going to uh, do this in two parts, this particular verse. I'm already up to, I'm already up to Romans uh, 16, verses 3 through 15. And actually, that's going to be all one class on a Sunday. But uh, we're, we're going to be, I looked out, if, if everything goes according to plan, we should be done with this at the end of August, the book of Romans. And um, I'll be sad, but at the same time, I won't be sad because I have never had more, more tax and distractions to try to do one book in my entire life. So it's unbelievable. But it must be, we must be doing something right because of all the baloney that's been going on around in the ministry. But, um, hey, if you could keep in prayer, your prayers, uh, my uh, neighbor, um, Donna, you know who she is. You just keep her in prayer. She has some kind of health issue, so uh, I'll find out. I'm going to lunch with her tomorrow, so hopefully uh, hopefully she'll be all right. She has to go to the doctors for something, but if you could keep her in prayer, I'd really appreciate it. I give her a hard time, but I really love her a lot, so, it, um, so I just uh, want you to keep her in prayer. And also, um, let's see what I was going to say. I forgot what I was going to say. But anyways, uh, that doesn't matter. It probably wasn't that important. All right, let's get underway. Let's take a moment of silent prayer to prepare ourselves. Um, and uh, what we need to do is uh, apply 1 John 1, nine at this particular time if necessary. And uh, once we do that, that restores us to fellowship. And we, remember, we stay in fellowship with God by bringing our thoughts, thoughts into obedience to the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, which talks about the Spirit uh, influencing us, being totally and completely influenced and guided by the Holy Spirit. That's commanded of us in Ephesians 5.18. We learned that in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 6. Remember, spirituality is being filled with the Spirit. Fellowship, when we talk about the filling of the Spirit, filling of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, and walking by the Spirit are two sides of the same coin, and that coin is called fellowship, Christian fellowship. And Christian fellowship, of course, is when we're taking advantage of our eternal relationship with God. And uh, so it's an absolute, you're either in fellowship with God or you're living in your sin nature, and thus you're under the deception of the kingdom of darkness. That's what the Bible teaches. So you're either walking, you and I are usually either walking in the darkness out of fellowship with God or walking according to the Spirit in fellowship with God. I mean, when I say walking, I'm talking about uh, living our lives, our lifestyle. So remember, uh, one decision, one bad decision can knock us out of fellowship and one good decision can bring us back into fellowship, First John 1, 9. And then it takes uh, many decisions to stay in fellowship because uh, if, you don't, if you choose not to obey what the Spirit says in the Word of God, then you're going to be sinning. Uh, I'll give you a perfect example. Let's, uh, and we talk about just get down to the nuts and bolts of everyday life. What I'm talking about, let's say you have a problem with bitterness or you're, you're angry at somebody or something and somebody has wronged you, you think, well, the first thing you can, the last time was what happens is we get angry and then, you know, we catch ourselves and then we confess the sin. And then what's the, now once you've done that, what do you got to do? Well, what does it God say about, to maintain fellowship, you know, confession of sin is one thing, but what do you do if you decide you're going to get angry with that person again? What are you going to do? You got to apply the word of God because if you don't, you're going to go right back to your sin nature and get angry and bitter or whatever the sin is. It could be other than anger or bitterness, it could be something else. It could be greed. I mean, it could be lying. So if you, uh, if, if, when, you're, when you confess the sin, whatever that is, then you have to make sure that you have to deal with that the temptation to sin by using the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. So when, when let's take bitterness or uh, something like that. What are we supposed to do? Forgive. We're to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. We're actually obligated to do that because God in Christ has forgiven us. So therefore, we're obligated to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ, and no matter what they've done. But if you choose not to, you're out of fellowship with God. Because that's the choice you have to make. You can either obey God, or you could disobey God. You could listen to what the flesh says and the devil says, because the devil's standards are hate, whereas God's standards are love. 
And so that's very, very important that we understand about that fellowship. It's amazing to me in Christianity how, few, how many Christians don't even know that. And they don't even know how to, the mechanics. Because how are you going to grow to spiritual maturity if you don't know that? Because you can't, you can't experience fellowship with God if you don't know these two basic principles. 1 John 1, 9, confess the sin. And then maintaining that fellowship is obeying. You maintain the fellowship by obeying the word of God. So this is a very important time. If you can't, if, uh, there, I'll tell you what is, and I, and I know I've been in those seats and pews too. And I, hey, even when I listen to my playbacks, I got to make sure that I'm in fellowship with God because the devil's world and we have our sin nature to deal with and the other sin natures of other people. It's very easy. It's very easy to be out of fellowship with God and you don't even listen to what the Spirit is saying in the church, to the church when you're in Bible class. You could be sitting in those pews and you could be dealing with some kind of thing at home, whether your husband or your, your wife or your kids or your parents or whatever, your boss, and you could be drifting out left field. That's why a lot of times people, you wonder why people, you know, why once one person is positive and got the message and another person says, I never heard a darn thing, I didn't like it. Well, that's because one's out of fellowship, not listening, and the other one is. That's as simple as that. Because when you have somebody who's listening and positive and, and got something out of the class, that tells the communicator that he did his job. And then if somebody else says, hey, I didn't get anything out of it or I didn't like it, that just goes to show you that one person is positive and the other person is negative. Because the person who's positive, it bears witness to the person who's negative that they're out of fellowship with God. Or, I mean, there's, there's, there's no two ways of slicing it. So uh, when, the, we, when we study the parable of the seed and the soils, you know, the seed and the sower, it's called by many. You know, our, our, our hearts are like so, uh, the soul. Our hearts, which is a portion of the soul, is uh, like soil. And so if we have a rocky soil in our hearts, that means that the word of God, which is like a seed, will not take root. And so it's very important that we, before we get underway, we get ourselves prepared for Bible class. And, hey, we all come through, have different things that we're dealing with. We all have our pressures with our jobs and our families. But we've got to learn to discipline ourselves uh, to, to cut the world out for a while, to shut it out and apply God's word, listen to God's word, because if we don't, we're only hurting ourselves. So this is a, I, 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 a lot of times, uh, you know, I don't want to go up here and be mechanical and say, okay, you know, assuming everybody knows what I'm talking about. Because a lot of people don't know what I'm talking about who listen to the website. They might be coming on for the first time. I don't, I'm not assuming, assuming anybody knows these things. I know you guys have heard me for a lot of years. But, hey, maybe some of you might not understand this. You never really clicked yet. And, and tonight I said something It's like, oh, I, I, I get that. So that's why I repeat these things, because they're very important. And if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing or distracting to you, do it First Peter 5, 7. It says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord, because he cares for you. So there's been, uh, uh, there's been a lot of anxiety in, in my life, and I know the life of the church, our church in the last month or so. But what are, how are we going to handle that adversity? How are we going to handle that stress? Are we going to do what the world does and hit the alcohol or get angry or get bitter or, uh, you know, being vindictive? Or are we going to do what God wants us to do? Cast it on, on him. Give it to him. Whatever you got. God's bigger than your problems and my problems. So we got to talk. And that, it's very important that when we're in prayer with God, it's all right to talk and reason these things out with yourself before God. That's what I do all the time. Uh, I always like to do, I was doing it today um, before class, and I do, it, I do it all the time. I said, I always go, what would I say to somebody who is in my shoes? And you could do it for yourself. What, what does God, if somebody was coming to you for advice and was a Christian, how would you give them advice to handle whatever adversity or stress they're dealing with? Well, you, you, think about it. So when you, talk, when you think about that, use that same advice on yourself. Okay. Uh, what would you do in this situation? And be detached from yourself and think about, okay, what would I do in this situation? What does the word of God say? If I was going to give somebody advice that has a similar situation to mine, what would I tell them? Well, whatever I tell them, you should be telling yourself. Very important that we see. That's where the rubber meets the road, as J. Vernon McGee used to say. That's where our Christianity, we really appreciate it. Because the world, when they, the world doesn't know how to handle problems. I, I was watching this, um, I was watching this show um, on uh, a documentary on the on the Beatles, and and John Lennon was talking, or George Harrison was talking about, you know, pressures about. No, it was not just George Harrison, and he was. It was 1971, and the drug thing was really big. And uh, one of the things the guy asked him, I think it was Dick Cavett, he said, 
Why do you think rock stars, musicians, entertainers are going to drugs all the time? He says, well, it, there's a lot of things that we see and pressures that are, that are difficult for us to handle. And so a lot of people choose to use drugs to escape that or deal with the stress. And some use alcohol and some use grass and some use heroin or whatever. Or what, so they, they, they can't handle their problems. So the, we don't want to be like that. We need to, to handle our problems uh, is to uh, go to the Word of God. And that's, I mean, I've always said this. It, it, the Bible, if you don't use it and I don't use it, it's worth nothing to us. See, we glorify God when we pr- apply His Word. So when we come to adversity, when we come to stress, when things, are, you know, stress is, uh, adversity is inevitable, as, J, as Bob Thiem used to say, adversity is inevitable, stress is optional. Uh, adversity is what others do to you in circumstances. Stress is what you do to yourself. I'll never forget that. What a great piece of advice. So, you know, don't, don't add to the misery, okay? Don't add to the stress by getting, getting anxious and worried, whether it's money or finances or, or finances or a personal situation you're dealing with. Go to God and God will, you know, God is there. And, and once you've gone through something, once you've gone through something, you get more confidence in God. Now, as I'm, I haven't, I'm not, I haven't arrived, but I'll tell you, you know, uh, I've been through some things, and one of the things going through this thing, I know I'm going to come out because God's with me. I know He's with through the whole, the whole situation, and He's with all of you too as believers. He indwells all of you. So we got to think these things. Everything is about thinking. Remember, we studied that in Romans 12, renovating our minds. That means doing what God's word says. And that's when we bring glory to God because we're using God's word, his power, to deal with our problems. And, that, and when you glorify God, that means you're manifesting something about God's character and nature, whether it's his power or his love. When you forgive those who wounded or hurt you or spitefully treated you, when you turn the other cheek and don't, you don't lash back like the rest, rest of the world doesn't get involved in vindictiveness, that is something when you bring glory to God because you're applying his word and you're operating in his love. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day of Bible doctrine, another day to learn of your plan for us to become like your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of the Spirit and the completed canon of Scripture, and together they reveal to us that fantastic plan. And we thank you, Father, that you've given us everything to overcome sin, Satan, and his cosmic system, and also uh, the, the lies of Satan's cosmic system. And we thank you, Father, for placing in us in union with your Son, Jesus Christ, the moment we were declared justified through faith in your Son, we thank you for the Holy Spirit appropriating for us at that moment everything that your Son has done through his death and resurrection and session at your right hand. And Father, we know that we're seated at your right hand and we're in your presence right now as we offer up this corporate prayer. And we just lift up our ministry. We pray, Father, that you would show all of us in this ministry the importance of taking up the shield of faith, the full armor of God, the sword of the Spirit, the combat boots of the gospel, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit in prayer, and the shield of faith, and the breastplate of righteousness, and the helmet of salvation, Father, to deal with our invisible enemy. And help us all in this ministry to grow in love toward you and each other. And we know that we will if we take a look at how you've treated us. So help us to apply that love that you've been teaching us in the book of Romans, forgiving one another as you have forgiven us in Christ. And help us, Father, to bring glory to you. And help us to see that adversity is inevitable because we live in the devil's world and people have sin natures as well as ourselves, but stress is optional. And help us to bring glory to you by operating in that very love that you demonstrated toward us through your Son and the Spirit. And also help us to appropriate by faith your omnipotence, your power, so that we can rise above our situations, that we can fly like eagles over the adversities of our life and bring glory to you. Just like your saints have done many times in the past, 
with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and Daniel, and the apostles. And we just thank you in your Lord himself, our, the captain of our salvation, our faith. And we just pray, Father, that we can imitate your son, Jesus Christ, and help us today, this evening, to bring glory to you. Help us to concentrate in the audience by, through the Spirit. Help us to do that. Help the communicator to teach as if he's in the presence of billions and myriads and myriads of angels and saints. And, of course, we know that as we teach this class, we're in the presence of you, Father, and your Son, Jesus Christ, and the elect angels. So it is that that is true. So we, we pray, Father, that we could bring glory to you in this Bible class and that each individual would receive their necessary spiritual nourishment and that you and your Son, Jesus Christ, would be lifted up and glorified. So, Father, we pray for these things in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. In Romans 15, 26, the great apostle Paul informs the Roman believers that he was going to serve the saints in Jerusalem by delivering to the destitute Jewish believers in that city an offering from the Gentiles in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, this evening we're going to note verse 27. In this verse, Paul's going to teach us that these Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia decided with pleasure to provide a contribution for the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem because they are indebted to them. So we're going to be talking about spiritual indebtedness. Uh, we've seen that in the past with the pastor teacher, uh, we, the congregation. If you've been fed the word of God by a particular pastor, you are indebted to that man. Because Paul says, if we, if we sowed spiritual things among you, don't we have the right to reap material things among you? That is a spiritual pr- uh, principle, spiritual indebtedness. However, Paul's not talking about pastor teachers here. He's talking about the Jewish believers, the Jewish uh, race, uh, which was the recipients of the covenant promises uh, through the patriarchs. He's talking about them in relation to Gentile believers because Gentile believers are uh, spiritually indebted to Jewish believers because the gospel originates with the Jews. Uh, the covenants of promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were to the Jews. Jesus is a Jew. Salvation is of the Jews, as he told the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. So we're going to start to see this principle of spiritual indebtedness. Now, also in this verse, we're not going to see it this evening, but we'll see it tomorrow. Paul goes on to write that the Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia were indebted to the Jewish believers because they shared in their spiritual blessings and were thus indebted to serve them also in material blessings. Look at verse 14, Romans 15, 14. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. That means teach one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, that talks about uh, the fact that on the basis of his being a servant of Christ Jesus, Paul says, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles By word and deed, Christ worked through Paul. He elaborates in verse 19. By the means of the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already known, nor named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation because he didn't want to repeat another man's work, another apostle's work. He wanted to cover as much ground, get the gospel into many areas that never heard of Christ as he could. Then he says in verse 21, and to support what he just said in verse 20, he quotes Isaiah uh, 52, 15. But as it is written, they, the Gentiles, who had no news of him, the Jewish Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. He's speaking rhetorically, meaning he's speaking of the same thing. What's that? The Gentiles hearing the gospel, understanding it through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and common grace, and believing in Jesus Christ as their Savior. So it was predicted in the Old Testament that the Gentiles would come to a saving knowledge of the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, and we are a fulfillment of that. Look at verse 22. For this reason, 
because I was out serving Christ and proclaiming the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum, church planting, for this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you, the Roman believers, entering into their presence. But now, at this particular time, my circumstances, which is 57 AD from the city of Corinth in the winter of 57 AD. He says, but now, with no further place for me in these regions, and that means he, that doesn't mean he couldn't teach in these regions from Jerusalem to Illyricum, these Roman provinces. It means that he had done everything he could. He church planted in all the major metropolitan areas, and then he church planted in those areas, and then those churches Ranched out to the counties and the different areas, the rural areas, and their own lo- in their own periphery. So he says, but now with no further place for me, me in these regions, there's no more church. I have no other places to plant a church. And since, and here's the other reason why he wants to come to them. And since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope that means I I'm certain and I confidently expect to see you. There's no doubt involved in the original. For I confidently, or I'm certain and I'm confidently expect to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. That talks about financial support. That talks about providing travel uh, arrangements for him. This was so he could evangelize Spain. So he's stopping off in Rome and he's going to end up, he wants his ultimate destination is to go to Spain. Actually, one of the reasons why he wrote the main argument of this epistle is to, to tell the Roman believers what he taught to show them what he taught, and he did a a tremendous job, of course, under the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So he says, For I hope, or I confidently expect to see you in passing, and to be helped on my way there by you, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. So he does want to have fellowship with them. But now, he says, at the immediate circumstances, I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. Why? For Macedonia and Achaia, the Gentile churches there that he planted, have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. Why? For if, and let us assume that it's true for the sake of argument, the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, and the first class condition, and response to first class condition says, and we ha- they have, then they, the Gentile believers, are indebted to minister to them, the Jewish believers, also in material things. Now, we have to go back to the original language because we have a little bit of a problem with the translation. That's why I have to go back to the, trans, uh, the, the original right here for a moment. The, fra- the two words there in verse 27. Yes, they were indebted to do so, uh, pleased to do so, and they're indebted to them. Yes and and are two different words. Yes, uh, the New American Standard translates yes uh, the word that it's translating, yes, is gar. And then we have the conjunction ka, which is translated and in our Bible. So when it says yes, that's the conjunction gar. And then it says, uh, they were yes, they were pleased to do so. And that's the conjunction ka, that they were indebted to them. Now, there's a, it's flip-flop, actually. Now, the New American Standard, that's what the abbreviation NASU uh, refers to, the updated version, interprets this conjunction gar as being emphatic. They translate it yes here. And they translate it, they interpret the conjunction ka as copulative. That means they translate it and. Now, it should be flip-flop. It would seem to make better sense having kai, and I'll show you why. When when I show you my translation, you'll say, oh, that does make better sense. So it would seem to make better sense having ka as emphasizing the idea that the Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia decided with pleasure to provide for the needs of the Jewish believers in Jerusalem and have gar as presenting the reason that they did so rather than vice versa. It makes better sense to interpret ka as emphasizing the verb evdokeo and gar as causal introducing the phrase they're indebted to them. Thus, look at this is the way the sentence should read. All that's what I'm saying here. And you say, the reason why I do that and explain that because I can't sit there and go, okay, this is what it says, and a lot, I know a lot of people want me to do that, but that is academically, I don't think that's, abs- that's laziness for me. You need to know why, and you should be taking notes down if you don't have the notes already, and you should be remembering this, because I'm not, gonna, I'm not the Pope. You know, when Bill says, boom, okay, I have to have scripture to back it up. So I'm trying to use the original language to explain why 
I come to a different translation than the New American Standard. You can't just sit there and go, oh yeah, whatever he says. And I'll tell you why. Because, because I've, I've studied under guys who are great Bible teachers, and they make mistakes sometimes. And we all make mistakes. So that's why I'm very careful. I want to make sure that you know what I'm say- why I'm saying what I'm saying and the reason why. And I don't want you to sit there being blind and, and be like the people in the Catholic Church where I used to come from and just go, whatever the priest says, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We get up, we stand down. Whatever the Pope says, oh, we can't use, uh, we can't use uh, birth control. Okay, whatever the Pope says. I mean, you name it, they, whatever the Pope says, okay. That's blind obedience and God wants you to... God wants you to reason in the scriptures. He wants you to understand why you believe what you believe in. Because it says in 1 Peter 3.10, that you're to, uh, 3.15, that you're to give a, an account for the hope that's in you. You're going to be, you're responsible for what you get in your soul. So I want you to know why we believe what we believe in. That's being an active listener rather than a passive person. And being passive is why we have cults today. And people who are deceived because they just blindly follow somebody. I'm giving you chapter and verse. I'm giving you the original language so you can understand why, what the, what the Holy Spirit said. Because the Holy Spirit didn't speak in the New American Standard. The New American Standard was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And neither was any translation in the history of the world, including the King James. So that's why we go back to the original language. So we could render the sentence this way. They the Gentile churches in in Macedonia and Achaia, were pleased to do so. What? Provide a gift for the poor Jewish believers. Indeed, they they were pleased to do so, indeed, because they're indebted to them. Let me say that again. They were pleased to do so, indeed. Why? Because they're indebted to them. So look at your Bibles. Instead of saying yes there, we could say, they were pleased to do so, and then make it emphatic, the word, indeed, and then instead of having in, have because. So we would say, they were pleased to do so indeed. Because they're indebted to them. See how it makes better sense? They're pleased to do so. Why? Because they're indebted to them. Makes total sense. So, ka, ka, and not gar, is serving to emphasize the thought that the Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia decided with pleasure to provide from their own resources and own accord a contribution for the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem and Gar, not Ka, serves to introduce the reason they did so. So Ka and not Gar is emphasizing the statement that the Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia decided with pleasure to provide a contribution for the Jewish believers from their own resources and own accord and Gar and not Ka indicates that they did so because they were obligated to the Jewish believers. And then we get this great word. They were pleased. It's the aorist active indicative form of the verb evdokeo. Once again, it's used here as it was in verse 26 to mean to decide with pleasure. To provide a contribution on behalf of the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. It talks about giving, not because someone's pressuring you, which we've never done in this ministry. We've never, we, we, it's between you and the Holy Spirit. When we've ever said something, it's only to make you aware that we have a need. Okay? So we're not putting, we don't take any, uh, we don't have any money, uh, only, uh, we don't tell everybody like some churches do who gave what. We don't do that. That's manipulating people to give. If people give and support the ministry, we carry on. If they don't, we, we shut the doors eventually. Not that we're doing that. Don't read into what I'm saying. I'm just trying to make a point. Instead, of, So what we need to do is understand that giving, it's not tithing. Tithing was a form of taxation in Old Testament Israel. It is not for the church age. Then why people are doing that, Pastor Bill? Because of their interpretation of the scriptures. Hey, just think of it. If a, if a pastor did what we do here, a lot of pastors don't have the faith to do that. Now, I'm not bragging. It's just there are a lot of guys like me. Because a lot of people will tithe or say you have to give so much because they want to keep their, they want to know what to expect with offerings. Okay. Now the problem you, what you do is you you kill initiative. You kill. You're, you're hindering the Holy Spirit. You're quenching the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit guide and direct people. And you know what's interesting? A lot of times when people, uh, this word talks about volition. You're doing willingly. Well, there are people who the Holy Spirit's saying to give and they won't give. God gives you that right. 
However, when you don't give and you have the means to give, you're losing out. You're hurting yourself. And, you know, you, you're, you're hurting yourself and you're losing the joy that comes from giving and obey, from, as a result of obeying the Holy Spirit. So giving is right here is they're saying that the, the, the believers, the Gentile believers and Macedonia and Achaia were giving of their own free will and they were doing it with pleasure. They not, they weren't going like this. All right. The offering's coming around. All right. Yeah. Uh, geez, I don't want to give this $5 bill. Put it down, you cheap son of a gun. You know, some, I mean, some, don't give that. That's not, this is what they were doing. Five bucks? Hey, I got more than that. Here, why don't you take 25 bucks? That's the way they were doing. They were pleased to do it. It wasn't a burden to them. They didn't look at it as a burden at all. And it takes faith to give like they did. It takes faith to give like they did. And they did it with joy. Why? Because they knew that doing this was doing it to Jesus. It was bringing glory to God. It was meeting the needs of people. Who is this offering going to in Macedonia and Achaia? It was going to who? The poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Now, Paul was taught this right from the beginning. Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul was persecuting the church, not Jesus, was he? Uh Uh-huh. As you've done it unto the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me, Jesus said. What we see is that when you give to another believer, they never even met these Jewish believers. You're doing it to Jesus. You're doing it to Jesus. So they were doing it with joy. They knew it was bringing glory to God and it was going to result in rewards. It's divine good. It brings glory to God. And it also, it results in thanksgiving to God. So this word, evdokeo, it actually emphasizes that the Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia, of their own accord, nobody was, Paul wasn't banging on their head. They, of their own accord, this word says, they took pleasure in providing for the needs of the poor Jewish brothers. They took great Pleasure. It wasn't, oh, gee, we got to, here comes the offering again. Here's that, here comes that apostle Paul. He's looking for money. He's trying to get in my back pocket again. <laughs> they weren't doing that. They were like, oh, yeah, cool. Because Paul taught them about giving. And he taught them that it's an expression of love. Look at, let's take a look at, we've, we've touched on some of these passages. Let's take a little cruise where Paul talks about giving with pleasure. Because that's what this word's talking about, giving with pleasure. And Paul talks about this quite a bit. Go to the Second Corinthians, uh, chapter eight. Second Corinthians, chapter eight, verse one. A great uh, book that uh, I think Bob Thien did. And maybe I'll put it out in one of my emails. Was uh, uh, giving gray, uh, grace or gimmick? And it was on these two uh, chapters: Roman uh, first, Second Corinthians, chapter eight and nine, which talks about giving. And it's a great, great little article. Maybe I'll send it out tonight when I get home. But it's because it ties right into what this passage is talking about, which is talking about the Macedonian and uh, Achaean Gentile believers providing for the needs of the poor, destitute Jewish believers. Look at Second Corinthians chapter eight. God loves generosity because God did God in that when believers give generously, they're bringing they're imitating God because did God hold back anything with us? He did, gave us abundant blessings. Then we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Did God hold back anything from us? No, he gave us everything. He gave his son. He gave us his spirit. We have, we're indebted to God. What is the money that we have? It's money that God has given us to bring glory to him and his kingdom, to advance his kingdom, not for our own selfish reasons. Look at the, look at these, now, it's interesting, in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul's talking to the Corinthians who were hedging a little bit. One of the reasons why he wrote this epistle was to deal with some issues with the Corinthians. He wanted to make sure that they kept to their, their vows and their word and provided for this offering for the poor, destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And what he's doing here is he's holding up the Macedonian Christians, who Paul talks about in Romans fifteen twenty seven as an example to follow. Because the Macedonian Christians were poor, unlike the Corinthian believers, and they gave out of their poverty. See, a lot of believers think that there's something else when they're giving out of their wealth. Like, for instance, let me give you, let me give you an example. Jesus gave, I'll show you, Jesus gave an example too. But 
let's say you have a million dollars. If you're given, if you're given, t- uh, if you're given a hundred dollars, that's and, and another person has a hundred dollars in their bank account and they're given ninety. Who gave more? The person who had a hundred dollars and gave ninety. The one who has a million bucks and gives what a hundred dollars. That's nothing compared to what the other person. The other person practically gave their whole life, their living away. See. Well, that's what God, that's the widow's might. That's what Jesus taught with the widow's might. The woman who at the, at the treasury, all these people were making a big flashy show about giving, and then the widow comes in and throws two, throws a coin in there. Everything she owned, she gave to the God. That is, that's, that's giving self-sacrificially. And that's what the Macedonians did. And Paul's talking about this offering, the offering that we're talking about in Romans 15, 27, he's talking about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great deal of affliction, they were going through hardship and trouble. Their abundance of joy, they decided with pleasure, Paul says in Romans 15, 27, right? That in a great deal of affliction and their abundance of joy and their deep poverty, they weren't rich. They didn't have any money in the bank account. They didn't go on nice vacations. They were poor. Poor people don't go on nice vacations. In their deep poverty, overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They were jealous. They were liberal. They were generous. Not jealous. They were generous. They weren't cheap. For I testify, he says, that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Romans fifteen twenty seven. They decided with pleasure to give of their own accord and from their own resources. Begging us. Oh, man. Begging us. Can you believe that? There was no pulling teeth with these people. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. That's key. And to us by the will of God. Now look at 2 Corinthians 9.1. Hop over there. 2 Corinthians 9.1. In this, here we see that over there they, they gave with joy in 2 Corinthians 8. Macedonians gave with joy. They gave of their own accord. That's exactly what Paul's saying in Romans 15.27. They decided with pleasure. Look at 2 Corinthians 9.1 because it talks, that, this chapter talks about giving between you and the Holy Spirit. Of your own free will. Look at 2 Corinthians 9.1. For it is surplus of me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. Continuing to talk about the gift to the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. For I know your readiness, of which I boast, he's talking to the Corinthians, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely, that Achaia, that's where Corinth was located, that province, has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. He was hearing, hearing reports that they were not getting this offering ready to get for when he got there. So he wanted to send people ahead to make sure they got it done and didn't screw up and didn't procrastinate and get lazy. Otherwise, he says, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not, we not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. He's saying... It would be embarrassing to yourselves if you didn't give to this particular cause for the poor Jewish believers. It's embarrassing to that congregation, those group of believers, for not giving. He didn't want that to happen. That's why he was making sure that they got this done. Look at verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously uh, promised Bountiful gifts. See, they promised to do it. That's why he's sending them ahead, these guys ahead to make sure they got it done. So that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. He's saying there that if you don't give them this offering like you said you would, you're involved in covetousness. You want the money for yourselves and you don't want to give to others. Look at verse 6. Now this I say. He who sows sparingly. It's talking in context of giving will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So if you're giving graciously, it's going to come back to you graciously. 
Look at verse 7. Each one, here's the volition involved, free will, each one must do just as he purposed in his heart. Not grudgingly, put the five bucks away if you're doing it grudgingly. Not under compulsion, somebody's trying to force you into doing it. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make, don't miss this. This is where faith comes in. If you give, a lot of people say, ah, he might, God might not take care of me if I give to this cause. Boy, if I give him, a, if I give him that kind of money, I mean, for crying out loud, I don't think God can take care of me. That's why a lot of people don't give. Look, he says in verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. He's the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills. If your grace is giving, he's going to see to it because you do good things with your money. He's going to see to it that you get that money, get more money again, so you can continue to contribute to the saints and continue to produce rewards for yourself. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, God scattered abroad. He gave to the poor his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supply, he, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest your righteousness of your righteousness. And you'll be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints but is also overflowing through many thanksgiving to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them all and to all, while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. There's reciprocation. They're going to give, they'll thank God, them and then they'll pray for you who gave is what he's saying what a beautiful that, it's very simple this is this is what paul's talking about in romans 15 27 now go back go back to romans 15 27 so it says in romans 15 27 and i'll throw my translation in they the, the gentile churches in macedonia and achaia we're pleased to do so indeed, because they, those churches in Macedonia and Achaia, are indebted to them, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Now the word to do is, that does not translate a word in the original text, but it is correctly added by the translators, because they see that correctly that Paul's employing the figure of ellipsis, meaning Paul leaves words out sometimes when he's excited or when he wants to emphasize the other words. It's common in a lot of languages. So this word that he's leaving out is the uh, infinitive form of the verb pl. It's implied even though it's not there. Now the meaning of this verb is taken from its use in verse 26. And thus it means, to in verse 26, it meant to provide something for somebody out of one's own accord and own resources. It is used here, the actions of the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia, and providing of their own accord for the needs of the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem from their own resources. And that talks about stewardship. Stewardship means, you remember a Christian fellowship? I've been talking about Christian fellowship since the day I got out here. Christian fellowship, it talks about we all share a common relationship with Jesus Christ. It involves partnership. We're in partners in getting the gospel out. It also involves companionship. We're to sh communicate with one another, share the things of Christ with one another, help each other, pray for each other, pray with each other, and also stewardship. You have time, talent, treasure that's been given to you by God and truth. What are you doing with it? Are you sitting on it? Are you hoarding it? Are you like those people on television that like to hoard things? Are you hoarding your money? Are you, be like, are you like the guy in the Gospels where Jesus said, the rich guy, he's, be, oh, move my soul, I'm doing well, and now I'm going to build more bonds. And then that day, you fool, you, your life will be taken from you, God says. He thought he was going to live for a few more years, he was going to live for a while, everything was going well, and he thought, oh, geez, I'll build more and more and more. And what happened? The Lord took him that night. So what good was he doing? Nobody. He was selfish, he was covetous, he was involved in covetousness, selfishness. 
So this is this is this word here where it says to do. It's talking about the Macedonian churches and the Achaean churches providing of their own own accord for the needs of the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem from their own resources. They were good stewards with their money, their finances, and the materials that God had given them. The words in the middle voice. And it puts special focus on the Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia. It emphasizes that this contribution was provided from, by them from their own resources and of their own accord. See, the original said the words in the middle voice. That's the language the Holy Spirit spoken. And it's, it's beautiful because the middle voice is, the genius of the middle voice is that it can emphasize the subject. It's emphasizing these believers in Macedonia and Achaia who are Gentile. It emphasizes that what they did they were acting on their own interests, and they were acting from their own resource. They were acting of their own accord. They were not being manipulated. They were being guided and directed by the Holy Spirit. Giving that is glorifying God is, give, is, is, is uh, produced by obedience to the Holy Spirit. See, when God, this is what I mean by it. God, the giving that God wants you to, to, uh, to be involved in is not... Oh, I'm giving because I feel obligated. Or, ooh, I'm giving because I want to get approbation from people. Ooh, I want to give because I want to have power. I want to be able to control the church. Uh, I'm, I'm giving because I'm obeying what the Spirit says in the Word of God. And the Spirit in the Word of God says to give, as we just read. That's when you're bringing glory to God. And that's the giving He wants in obedience to what He says. Give and it will be given to you, Jesus said. He said that in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. So this word is in the, the word to do in the original is in the middle voice. It emphasizes, it has special focus on these uh, Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia, emphasizing that this contribution was provided by them from their own resources and of their own accord. Look at verse 27. He says, they were pleased to do so because they are indebted to them. The word indebted is the word ophiletes. And this means debtors. It's in the plural. And the word is in the plural describing the Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia in relation to the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem. So this word, ophiletes, this word is a a very important word because it talks about spiritual indebtedness. This word is used, as I said earlier, uh, of of the congregation in relation to their pastor and the communicators of the word of God. They sow spiritual things, they teach you the word of God, you are obligated spiritually to, to provide for his material needs, whoever that communicator is. That's what Paul taught the churches in the first century. That's what they all, all the apostles taught. So this word is used here, though, again, not of pastors in their congregations, or the apostles and the people that they served, but it's talking about the relationship between Jewish believers in Jerusalem who are destitute and the Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, the causal clause that follows contains a first class, containing a first-class condition indicates that Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia are debtors to the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem because they have shared in their spiritual blessings and are thus obligated to minister to them in material or temporal matters. Look at that in the next statement. For if, and it's a first-class condition, I'll put it in there. It goes like this. For if, and let us assume that it's true for the sake of argument, it's a tool of persuasion, the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things. Whose spiritual things? The Jews. Salvation is of the Jews. The gospel's from the Jews. The covenant promises were to the, to the Jews. For if, and let us assume that it's true for the sake of argument, the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, and they have, for response to first-class condition, then they, the Gentile believers are indebted, indebted to minister to them also in material things. So Paul's saying they're giving because they're spiritually indebted to those Jewish believers because salvation is of the Jews. A Jew gave them the gospel, Paul. Paul gave these Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia. A Jew gave them the gospel. The apostles were uh, Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. The, co- the covenant promises were to the Jews. So these Gentiles are indebted. We are indebted to the Jews. Right now as we speak, us Gentile believers are indebted to the Jews. We're indebted to Jewish believers. Why? Because we shared in their spiritual things. Ophiletes denotes that the Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia were morally and not legally, 
but morally obligated to provide for the temporal or material needs of the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Why? Because they benefited from the spiritual blessings flowing from the promises to the Jewish patriarchs. The gospel, as I said before, which the Gentile Gentiles in Macedonia and Achaia, and we too, here in the 21st century, believed in, originated with the Jews, and was proclaimed to them by the Jews. And their Savior, Jesus of Nazareth, was a Jew. And Romans 11, verses 13 through 28, a passage we studied in great detail. And also Romans 15, verses 8 through 12, all make this clear, that the Gentiles share in the spiritual blessings of the Jews. Now, let me give you my translation of Romans 15, 27, up to this point, and then I'll give you a few uh, comments, and then we'll close. Here's the passage up to this point. They, the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia, decided with pleasure to provide of their own accord and from their own resources, indeed, because they are, as an eternal spiritual truth, it's a spiritual axiom, obligated to the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem. So this statement here, is emphasizing with the Roman believers that the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia indeed decided with pleasure to provide a contribution for the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem because they're obligated to them. In the next statement, he explains the reason why this is the case. We just read it a few moments ago. The Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia were indebted to the Jewish believers because they shared in the spiritual blessings of the Jewish believers and were thus indebted to serve them also in material things. They were morally, not legally, but morally, because it's in the word of God, and morally obligated to provide for the material or temporal needs of the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem because they benefited from the spiritual blessings flowing from the promises to the Jewish patriarchs. So there we have the, in, uh, verse 27. And also, we're going to see that the gospel, as we noted earlier, the gospel which the, which the Gentile believers believed in, and was communicated to them by Paul, who was also Jewish, originated with the Jews, and the object of the gospel, Jesus Christ, is a Jew. So thus, this gift that the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia are going to send with, uh, to, with Paul, Paul's going to take it with some people, deliver it to the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem, and that, is, that gift is, is a, an expression of the fact that the Gentile believers are spiritually indebted to these poor Jewish believers. Why? Salvation is of the Jews. The gospel was preached by the apostles who were Jewish. Jesus, the, the greatest Jew, the Son of God, he, was, he proclaimed the gospel. All this, the covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the new covenant promises, which said, uh, the, which uh, promised the gift of the Spirit to whoever believed in the Jewish Messiah. All these things we share. We share in these blessings. We are, we are actually spiritually engrafted, as we saw in Romans 11, to the, to, to, the, uh, to the olive tree. Who is the olive tree? Israel. So we are engrafted to spiritual Israel, regenerate Israel, born-again Israel, us Gentile believers. Not that we take over the covenant, not that, the, that we're the new Israel, but that we're engrafted in. We're sharing in the promises, the covenant promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we're indebted to our Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Paul's saying here. This, 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 so Paul, notice, he gives them a reason why they, 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 gave with, they decided to give with pleasure. Why these Gentile churches in Macedonia gave. He gave them the reason. They're spiritually indebted. So, the application for us is that when we give to, the, to, to a ministry that is teaching the word of God, you're doing so not because somebody is telling you to or the Pope's telling to you or somebody's threatening you or you're, you're supposed to tithe. You're doing, you, you give because the person has sowed spiritual things in you, among you, as a believer. You benefited from the things of the word of God. That's why you give. You give because you're spiritually indebted to that ministry that's teaching the gospel. So whatever your church is, whoever hears my voice, wherever they are, whoever your church, if, you're taking, if you benefited from this ministry, or any ministry, whatever that ministry is, you're spiritually indebted to that ministry. Because if you benefited from them spiritually, you're obligated to give to that ministry. So that's, I just think it's uh, interesting how the Holy Spirit works, but that's a cool passage that we see. And I just love the part where it says they decided to do this with pleasure. 
What a contrast to many Christians today in the, 20, in the 21st century. We're giving is, you know, people have this big thing with money and uh, big uh, hang-ups with money, probably because in this country, even the Church of America, there's a lot of people who love money and are covetous. And uh, we don't want to be like that. We want to be the way God has designed us to be, generous and overflowing with love and gratitude toward God and our fellow believers. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit would do a mighty work here this evening and help us to understand these things that we've learned. Convict us if necessary. Instruct us in righteousness. Encourage us, Father, to go forward in your plan and to put these things into practice that we've heard here this evening. And we pray, Father, that also that you give us traveling mercies on the way home and also bless the fellowship and power of the fellowship through the Spirit as at the end of service, after service. And our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen.